Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about why silage was kind of hanging up there in moisture. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at what you might be able to do to help atrazine stay a possibility. Egg History Minute, we'll continue to talk about atrazine's history a little bit more this week. And we'll wrap things up with some cool beans, that's corny current events, and our Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So are, are we going to see playoff baseball in Milwaukee? Here's my thing. You're saying there's a chance. <laughs> At this point, like you're scratching and clawing. You're like, I'd like to make the playoffs, but feel like we're going to make the playoffs and just get stomped right away. Well, they if they do make it, it's back at the Cardinals. Yeah, and then if you beat the Cardinals, you know what you get? Dodgers. To go to L.A. It's still fun to make it. Like, I just... Is it, though? Is yeah, it fun to I would still rather be in and lose, but I... Yeah, I get it, though. Like, the chances of them going any further is not I think gonna. we still remember the 90s, Max, when the Brewers, like, were out of it in July. Like, we hit the all-star break, and you're like... <laughs> like they're mathematically eliminated. Yeah. When can the Packers season start? Here's what I think. If they started if they started baseball playoffs in August, I'd be all about it. I'd be like, let's go, Brewers, playoff push, half game back. Like, get after it now, fellas. Eight games left? Eight games? Seven games. We have six. The Phillies have seven. Okay, so six games. They have a doubleheader today. Like, then I'd, I'd be a little more into the push, but the Packers are playing... I don't know that the Brewers are all that good. So Here's what I think is going to happen is we'll be this close to making it. We will tie with the Phillies, which in, in the past they had a tiebreaker, that there awesome is. game where you'd, like everybody yeah. would try to win because you know, it was one game. Right. There is not that anymore. So we'll be tied and be like the first team ever to basically be tied and be eliminated for a tiebreaker scenario. Yep. Which they would, said there's no way we can feel, win the tiebreaker. Right. No. What are they basing that off of? Do you know, Bill? I think it's, I think it's head to head. Head to head. Yeah. I think. Yeah. There's a very complicated mathematical formula that <laughs> yeah. takes into account the uh, vernal equinox and the. <laughs> so realistically, you know, we've been a game or two back for the last what two m- month, and it's really like two or three games back because you have to finish ahead of them. Right. So like last night, you know they. Phillies get throttled by the Cubs at, during the day, and then you're like, oh, it's two to nothing going in the eighth inning. And then Peralta gives up a homer and. Oh, grand slam. Yeah, grand slam, and it's four to two and game over. So you. So, like, basically, we're half game back, but it's really like one and a half games back. One right? game back, because we only got to get to half game. Up. So right, but you're gonna. But the half game goes away when because they equal. play a doubleheader right. today, and we only play one. Right. right. So technically, if the Phillies win like, both games today and we lose today, it's over. We're two games back. Yeah. Which is really three games back with, with tie five to yeah. go. So really, we need the Phillies to lose today. God, I would love it if they lose games. the doubleheader today and we'd win tonight. Yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> so if they then you're a game up, right? Right. And they play the Nationals, who are terrible. Well, they played the Cubs, who are terrible, too. True. And the Cubs swept them. 
Like that's the weird part is like we're getting actually help too, right. and it's still not going to be enough. But. That's what I'm saying about how like we're going to back into the playoffs at best, at and best. I just don't. Yeah, and they finish with the Diamondbacks, who when they went out to Arizona a month ago, they we got crushed. Like yeah, garbage. so we won one of those games, right, Bill? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Bill was there. Yeah, the only one. Yeah, the only one. And that Bill, was a, go back. had to have Rowdy Telez in like the seventh. Yeah, he hit a home run. So. And then it still kind of went back and forth. Yeah. But yeah. What if the Brewers just don't lose again and, and make it to the playoffs? Wouldn't that, would you feel better about it? Would you be like, all right, momentum? Well, okay. I think what Bill was trying to say too is like, this is our playoffs. Yeah. Like, like this is what we got to expect. The Bre- Like, just getting in is like the World Series championship to the Brewers. So, like, this is our playoffs right now. Yeah. <laughs> I know that it's an end. At least you can say I've you got there. Like, I've seen him play in the NLDS like six yeah, times they, now. Like yeah. this is not my playoffs. My play, my <laughs> I have a real pennant in mind that yeah, we should be we, winning or should be trying to win. We won't because our owner is a bum. The good news though <sighs> is Mark Antanasio just drives me up a wall. The good news, Max, is. When Hader was traded, this team was destined for the same path. Like whether he was on the team or not, especially with Hader tanking now, yeah. it just makes yeah, us were, all feel better. They so. were talking about two games in June that we lost to the Phillies, right? So if we flip those two games around, both games we were winning by one or more runs in the eighth inning and lost. And Hader blew. It. Hader blew one of them. The yeah. other one was not his fault, but the first one he blew. And they're like, just think about that one game if we had that back, right? Whatever. Forget baseball. <laughs> Until the Brewers are World Series favorites, forget it. Forget about it. But hey, at least the Packers won. Yep. It wasn't pretty. No, but it wasn't it wasn't bad though either. I mean it no, wasn't but our, our defense eh, our defense was, is nails. when your offense shuts shuts off after two yeah. touchdowns, that's not great. It it was fun to see like special teams play like Yeah actually like do something to win us the game like that punter was like he was he's, a special teams player of the week was it yeah yeah, yeah punter good. is on that nixon with the catch and downing it on the one right like there were a lot of good good moments for special and it teams. is always fun to see tom brady like like even the announcers were doing the stuff we called that said like oh look he's a competitor out there and he's yelling at his players yeah. or whatever and the one play where he got like basically it was snapped to him, and whatever he saw wasn't going to happen. So he just chucked the ball in the ground yep. right away. Like that was so great. This looked like upset I Tom. Think, I think uh, we had. I mean, we basically had that third touchdown locked tight. Jones yeah, could hang on the ball, and he got he got schmucked pretty good. I mean, you should hang on to the ball, but that that it. one out of any he. He definitely got hit pretty hard. Yeah. Well, Vita Vea is a very large man, and he was in coverage, moving at a high rate of speed. So I, I guess it is what it is. But it would have been twenty-one to three going into half, right? That and then felt, that last touchdown. I mean, that wouldn't it, even mattered, right? For, well, but and we go into pre-event defense then sooner, and they probably score on us earlier. And I hate that. That drives me yes crazy. You're you're wrecking a team all game, and the last five minutes you're like. Prevent defense. What does it matter? We gave up a touchdown anyway. Right. Why, right wouldn't you right. rather? And, and it was worse. Is there, he, we had three. Tom had three minutes. Wouldn't you rather give it up in a minute and a half so you at least have Rodgers a chance to, to get yeah. a field goal well, or something? Not, not use let him use the whole clock up and then 
you know, luckily they show up to stop the the two point conversion, but. I just don't. I don't, I've never understood the prevent defense. I don't think it helps. I don't. Sure, sure, you probably shouldn't run a eight man blitz. All right, fair enough. But like, come on, guys, play defense. You have what, a good defense. What blows me away about the prevent is you let the quarterback just sit there and be comfortable and and, and pick and you apart. Well, right? What I left is a, they're like, well, they rushed four a couple times, so it wasn't complete prevent. I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't. You weren't do that was different defense than what you weren't and blitzing. You weren't right. It, it as wasn't soon as you get in his face. He can't move. He's a statue. Why would you not send five a couple? Times? His his Tom Brady's run was great, and then he slid and his knee brace got yeah. all mucked up. Yeah. And, well, that yeah, was right was, before the play you were talking about, where he <laughs> right. threw down because now he was even more immobile because his knee brace was all busted think, up. Think about rushing five. Right, that's six guys in coverage yet. That's not right. Crazy. <laughs> no, you're right. Like oh. We we don't want to we don't want to rush five. I mean, we just don't have enough guys to cover. Well, even if they run four, like that's still two extras and a running back and a tight end to cover. Like it's definitely doable. But I yeah, I'm not a defensive coordinator in the NFL, so what do I know? Win's a win. Max, you've coached stuff. Like, do you think the play clock should have some sort of another system that isn't just the ref like? Kind of watching it and then looking at the football and then basically like basically you're referring to the what should have been two delay of games yes, in like, a row instead. I don't of know just why the they called. can't like every stadium has a clock at the end of the field. Why can't the official that stands behind the play right be watching? You can you can tell me you can't watch that ball snapped out of the corner of your eye and the ticker at uh, the same time. I'm just gonna really simplify things here. A horn, maybe. Right, right. that's what we were talking about the other day. Is like, should it just be like basketball it. when the shot, shot clock, clock, the right, right. It can't. Like, why? I don't. No, I don't I'm understand. saying why. Yeah. yeah. Why can't it? We could put a camera on a pylon, but we can't put a no, horn I, on a clock. In the days of like, we're precision applying nutrients out here on the farms and doing all this stuff, and yet they if, can't figure. If out only a they could create some sort of a, lo- a clock that would have an alarm right. that at a certain time when it hit that point. The alarm would go off. Wouldn't that just be? I mean, even outside right. of football, I think that would have some real implications for for life as we know it. Mike Prayer getting on and being like, "Well, you know, the officials, it is at their discretion. They do have a like, grace period from zero. Why? Then why right. do we have the clock? Yeah, right. Why don't we just guesstimate? All right, he should have snapped the ball by now. Flag zero well, zero. Especially too when why is it a like. It hit zero. Like, I don't even understand, like, what's the great, you know, it's like, oh, there's, like, another, like, click after zero. Well, then why don't you start it, what does it start at, 40 seconds? Why don't it start at 41 and then just go to, like, I it, like in these days, it's so wild. Especially, like, all these quarterbacks are trained to use that whole time. But then, because there's no penalty, really, for using the whole time because they got this sort of grace period right. to right. kind of, like, snap it yet. But, I, Yeah. It should have been a penalty twice. But, but there's, there's also the hit zero snap, like where it's almost instantaneous. I, Both these instances, it was not that. No. It was zero okay. No. When I watched the first one, too, I'm like, oh, sweet. We, I, I, like, turned away thinking, like, oh, we, you know, that was delay again. Like, you can see it. Like, we see the clock. We right. see so much more, you know, why, yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. I watch high school officials do this and middle school football officials do this. And they don't have a play clock. They like count out and they wave their hand in the air. 
And when they get to the, so you get five swipes to know like you're getting close. They count the last five seconds. Okay. On the fourth swipe, their hand touches their flag. Really? If their hand touches on the fifth swipe, if their hand gets up, the flag. Wait, 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 Max. And I, and I haven't watched high school football in quite a while. So, so basically, they they don't see the full forty seconds. But when it gets down to the last five, well, there's no play like, clock right. anywhere in a high well, school or a middle school does, field. No, no, but does it's the ref? Running, it's running clock during sure all youth youth football. So basically, they spot the ball, the clock starts running, and they just watch the, the actual game, game clock. clock. Um, in our league and whatever. It, now, if you play, it, but that's a if perfect you play idea. At Town, and you wear a blue jersey, you get 60 seconds. Yeah. And if you wear a green one, you get 30. It's because you need all 60. Um, no, but but literally, it is but, like their hand, so it comes out, and you extend your fingers. That's the way they're supposed like to call it. It's like the ref counting out the 10 seconds on a back on a bas- violation bas- basketball. Yep. Right. But point. you're right. They, like even in NFL, like how, how do we have this figured out in middle school football? But, but yet the NFL. But you'll see them figure. when their hand comes down and the. Like that so, may, they come down from four. You'll see them. Their hand, their other hand, is on the, on the flag. flag. So if their hand gets extended, it's coming out. It, it's whistle and flags their, out. Their their hand extends on the five, and the flag comes out at the same time. Are they blowing whistle right away? So yeah. you know the dead ball. Yeah. If I, if the good the good officials now, obviously there's some guys who need some work. You know, there's some yeah. young guys. There's some guys who are getting up there that they don't move that fast. But like for the most part, that's the way that they're supposed to call it. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I can't believe that we have eighth grade football players who can handle it better than NFL guys, but and it's always the excuse. Oh, the the clock you see on TV is not the official clock. It's like why not? Right. Or that's just an excuse because everyone seeing sees it. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. But and the first one on Sunday that we thought was one, okay, that one was that one was one. I mean, I think it was probably the second one. If they wouldn't have called that, that was a good like two clicks. Like it was, it was a long time, a long time. And I was like, all right, good. Oh, it, oh, okay. There's the flag. Good job, guys. Like it was a long one, but it's called the Brady coefficient. Yes, when he plays, he gets the extra second. And they're not going to Minnesota to play. Nope, they're going to play so at home. Play yeah. in Tampa. Yeah, Tampa actually didn't end up getting her all that terrible. It's not good, but it's not. Fort Myers, I think, was one yeah. of the worst ones I've seen. Fort Myers, Englewood got it pretty good. There was actually a shark in the streets of Fort Myers. Somebody had a video. Yes. Someone had a gator in their house, I saw. Yeah. Floated in. The, they had six feet of water in the streets of Fort Myers. Yeah, the pier's gone, the Fort Myers Pier. Really? It's gone. It's just the pilings, everything else is gone. Because they had a ca- uh, camera on a post, and they said it was, yeah, at six feet, and it was underwater. Like, it was splashing up, and all of a sudden the camera, like, shut off. So. Did you guys see the video of all the linemen staged at the Florida-Georgia yeah. line? Did you see that? Yeah. That was nuts. That was so cool. Yeah, they, a lot of them drove really, over from Texas. It's really too bad that it happened, but that was awesome. Awesome. As to far see. as that your eye could see on yeah. the camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can imagine looking out over a 200 acre field from a water tower is basically what it was, and it was just trucks, line trucks. Is lo- and they were just starting to roll out, and it was like a big train going. I bet you guys in the back, they waited three hours from when the first guy left. I mean, it was zigzagging I, like this. It was cool. I mean, it I, was really cool. I've got a lot of respect for military for a lot, but linemen now are honestly like 
right up there. The, sto- the storm I mean, response just, guys are they, they Like after what we saw this summer, not having power for five days, and how much not having electricity affects everything in your life, and even just safety things of, you know, people need electricity to, to operate a lot of their medical equipment and stuff. And yes, those linemen are like... Yeah, they get paid big bucks to do it, but man, they're they're leaving their families waiting out a storm, knowing they're going in to see some stuff, and working with extremely high voltage. Extre- you know, it's not like that is not safe. No, it's work. a high danger. Yeah, yeah. fresh. And you're tired. You know, they're, they're tired. They're like in, on an average day to day, they're going to drive through four feet of water with a truck. They may see like a deceased human, and they're going to climb forty feet in the air and work on high voltage for you, like. Well, That's an at, average day. <laughs> look at all the shrapnel, like just all the garbage and just the stuff How from dangerous the storm. It can be. Like, yeah, trees got, laying across everywhere. You got, and, yeah. Your power lines all tangled up in that stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. That's a pretty wild job. The next time you're hot in a bean field in August, just think you could be up <laughs> on a line somewhere, cleaning up tornado damage. Well, and and they're staying in places obviously in the area. They're staying you some. I know the ones that came here this summer, they went and stayed in a place that did have power. But going here, they're not going to have, you know, like, so even well, in their off time, you know what, like, though? they're, I, you know what I mean? Like, you're just there all day doing this. And then in your off time, you're staying in some place that probably got ravaged by the storm as well. Like, it's not. My yeah. family in Tampa never lost power. They, they did not. Okay. Never lost power. And I was like, what? We lose power every three days. And see, <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, we just never lost power. Just, you know, it's wet, but we never lost power. And I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Well, they have a lot of like storm, like water in the house damage, or mm-hmm. no, that's good. Some limbs down and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah it all just depends where you are in the. Path it, it, that does storm. Sound, it is good to hear, though. Obviously, that certain people were spared, and obviously, yeah, other people got. It hammered. sounds like Fort Myers Beach got her pretty good, and then after that, it kind of levels off a little bit. But there's still, there's still, there's still a pretty good storm surge on the west coast of florida now like it came all the way across well, they and it's said still... it like actually intensified once it got back right by like so now Titusville. It's going yeah, into georgia yeah. and some of those areas is yeah headed for north carolina yeah they said uh they said we we should see i was listening to a guy yesterday we're gonna see some higher level disturbance from the hurricane this weekend it sounds like here not necessarily that we're gonna get rain but it's gonna disrupt the sure wind whatever you know i mean you guys know when we get a hurricane yeah, it gets weird. It's like it's a, a yeah, weird. You always get some sort of weather. Yeah. Usually, if we get rain, it's a Texas. Hurricane. Usually, sure. yep. usually this one sounded like they weren't predicting necessarily rain from this. They were talking about our jet stream being pushed or weird. something or other. Sure. Yeah. All right, you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. So why wasn't silage drying down as fast as we thought it should? So this goes kind of to the question. We yeah, we've been kind of talking through going back. Bill had a topic of, you know, will what are our options if you don't think your corn's going to make grain? And you know, we've talked a lot about that. And kind of this one wanted to be more specific to all of us thought that corn silage would be ready September twelfth, and it wasn't ready for basically another ten days or two weeks. And like, wh- why? You know, all of a sudden it's like, how do you go from you, you use tassel date plus 45 days. That's when corn's going to be done like that. And it works most of the time. And so kind of that frustrating, like, Hey, you tell this is when we think it's going to be ready based on tassel date, based on burn downs from say the first week ahead of that. 
And then all of a sudden you get there and like nothing's right. You know, the corn's still super wet and it just hung at 70. And as we talked in previous ones, our goal is that like 65% is sort of the goal in general. Yep. But it hung like just too wet for like two weeks basically. And just didn't, you know, when you did the half a point a day, it, it didn't follow any of that. It, and it never, equ- you know, follows it perfectly, but it just hung at 70. So what extremely frustrating, you know, even a lot of these now when you get a custom harvester coming in, you know, you're calling in one or two choppers, a group of dump carts, a group of truck drivers. Like this isn't just like, yeah, you want it to be ready. Right. And all of it ready. Right. If like, possible. It's not yeah. like go hook up the wagon and we're yeah. going to chop a couple loads today. Like, oh, it's still wet today. I'll stop. And- right. And see, like, that's the other hard part is, like, once we set the train in motion, like, it's going. Like, there's not really – it's it's very hard to set, which, in general, custom guys were very good this year in understanding of, like, hey, it's just not ready. You know, it's not ready. It's not ready. It felt like, you know, there was, like, days in there where you're like, oh, it should be ready now. And the other hard part is like, you can't miss it either. Like if it goes from 65 is ideal, but it gets to 58, that is a very bad week, you know, where you lose that. So that was the other part where it was hard to see is we were kind of expecting the bottom to drop out on it. And it, I don't want to say it didn't do that. It's going to, it's doing that now. Um, sort of. Yeah. Max given a look of like, it is, but it isn't, you know, it's just, it's, it's odd out there what it's doing. So, um, kind of, Wanted to see the the first thing that came to mind is like, well, where is the moisture in the plant to try to explain this? And then we've come up with some ideas of why. But the the first part is, you know, where is the moisture in the plant? And so I took um, two two plants and needed two plants to get enough um, material, especially the top part of the stalk wasn't that much stuff. So I needed that to get enough sample. And then basically like cut them up and stripped them down to just to five parts. So it's the top of the stalk, so the top three feet, the middle three feet of stalk, and then the bottom three feet of stalk, not to the ground to like an eight-inch cutting height. So, And then I got just the leaves, so those were all pulled off of this, and then kind of ran their own sample, and then the ears were also in their own sample. So to try to see, like we always, you know, think when you cut it, you can see moisture in that stalk, and it seems like a lot of moisture, but it's hard to really tell. And this was at kind of a, a wetter field. So it's a the whole, the average of the field was 72% moisture yet. So it wasn't, I didn't pick a real dry one um, just to see that. And what was wild is the, is the ears were at 63%. So a good 10 points sort of drier than the, than the whole plant was. And then the leaves and the stalk we're at like 75 to 80%. And the bottom stock was really where it was, you know, really, really wet, and that was at 80%. So if you think of those two things, was ears at 63%, bottom of the stock at 80%, and then our average was 72. It, it actually made sense, you know, and I did it by dry matter weight to kind of figure out what percent of the plant and everything it was, and it actually worked out. But that was shocking to me of like, we we sort of need these ears kind of dry enough to make up for that moisture in the bottom of the plant. But we have seen years where if we're really dry, it runs out of that kind of ambient moisture in that plant yeah. and it and it does weird things. And the other hard part with you know, with ears, it's usually pretty consistent, the dry down of the ears. 
Whereas your stock dry down can be extremely inconsistent. It can go from... Well, and, you, and it's a lot easier to tell in the ear. Like you can watch it through the milk right, line and through right, other things. Right, you, you, well, you see it. With the stay green and some of the genetics of, of corn now, it's like, well, yeah, it still looks green, but it can be drier than it looks. Yes. Yeah. Here's, yeah. here's the first wrench. Like we had it this week. We got some frost. Right. Right. It killed. It didn't kill. It's not. It wasn't a kill frost. It definitely nipped the tops of plants. Mm-hmm. If you had green, really green corn yet, it it nipped them pretty good. So like that is going to change. So that in this test was seventy five percent moisture in that top stock. That very quickly went from seventy five to easily fifty percent. You know, overnight. Yeah. So that is what's hard too. Is it would have been great if this moisture got to sixty five percent and then hung. That'd that'd be perfect. Right. You know, that's what we want to happen because that would give our harvest window be huge. But for it to hang at 70 really made it tough. So so kind of that's where the moisture was. And then, I, I mean, I got a bunch of reasons sort of why. And I think the first reason why goes right up with that stock moisture is literally on the ready date. So a lot of them that I said, you know, September 12th, it'll be ready. What happened? Yeah, we got two a lot to, of rain. Right, two to five inches of rain came on that day. And so... That changes extremely, and you know all this corn really too. What I see with it is, I think part of it is in the genetics now. Is it's bred that when we have a drought, it sort of shuts down on us, and then we have a lot of wet water. It pulls that water up like a you know it's like a straw out there just sucking water. Well, and think about too all the genetics of stay green stalks, right? We want right stay green so it stands longer that cob to dry down so we can have a better harvest for the grain guys but in turn it leaks into the whole genetic package right but in turn that's pushing back our silage because it's staying greener it's sucking up that water that comes september 10th right three inches right that that point you make about the the drought like we don't necessarily need to have severe drought where the corn's completely turned over and and looks like it's going to die for it to slow down. It just right. has to get dry-ish, dry. and I think the corn, like, oh, it's 83 today. That's perfect corn-growing weather. Yeah, but it's not growing because it's too dry right now, and it's just not quite moving like it should. One other thing to think about is, like, if farms say, well, it didn't pick up that much moisture, you know, the field's dried, dried out. And, like, look at that, though, how good the field conditions sort of, I mean, farmers are still dump carting. They're not perfect by any means. But to get that much rain and be as good as what I'm seeing field conditions, those plants sucked up that moisture. Right, yeah. They had to go I mean, somewhere. Right. It, I mean, yes, we had, it did drain some, all that stuff. But when you, when you grab those stalks and wring them out and it's like wringing out a wet sponge. like It's not like the weather was conducive for drying fields. It, you it know, like, wasn't. It per, turned cool. Right. You know, like the weather itself wasn't drying out the fields. No. It was other factors. Right. So it was, it was that sort of pulled it up into that stalk and you know when it hangs in there it's it's very it'll very readily move so we thought it would sort of crash potentially but i think there was just that much moisture that it was still just sucking it up all yep. the time so a couple other reasons um I want you guys to think about is more fungicide use so with our worry about tar spot coming i would say this is the most fungicide we've sort of ever used on corn in the area i don't know that there's any scientific behind that but it it well you know how many guys you recommended it to last year 
And right. You know how many guys you recommended to this, this year? year. Was so, it a bigger number, Todd? Yes. So yeah. it was bigger. And so obviously that fungicide is going to hold, just keep a healthier plant. And yeah. a lot of our dairies have BMR, so they're right. just going to do it do anyway. It, right. So I've been, I've been working on this silage equation, that 45 days from tassel to chopping. And I add five days if it's BMR and five more days if you if put you fungicide put on. So fungicide. you're adding 10 days. And now if you add 10 days, we actually came out pretty close. Yeah, pretty much right on. The other part, it kind of goes, I mean, we had healthier corn, but I also think it was part of it was diseases were starting to come on, but all of a sudden they sort of took a break in there late August. So even the guys that didn't use fungicide, because I even said that I was like comparing fungicide use to non-fungicide and when the silage was ready, and it wasn't that much different. So I think even just in general, we were geared up for a real bad, you know, disease, and I we can see tar spots coming. You see it every day. It's still here. Yeah, but it still came on later. It was very late. Yeah. So we had sort of this still very healthy corn through September. So a couple other reasons is nitrogen applications is we're getting with having Y drop and be able to putting on later N and keeping that plant kind of fed later. I think that also is going to keep it, you know, greener longer as well, which would in turn keep, you know, your moisture up. So, Really, anything that's going to improve the health of the plant means right. it's going to prolong the drying. The drying part yep. of it. So we also have that part of this, too, is just in general, later applications, of, and not even going to the Y-drop is just, you know, more farms are doing later side dress or, or kind of, you know, doing some end, but doing a little bit later to try to keep that plant healthier all throughout, which is going to keep it wetter. And then the other part is just sort of a, we were kind of cooler late season, um, but not cold enough. We recently we've now gotten these frosts that have triggered that plant. Like, hey, I got to be done. But before this, it was just cold enough to kind of keep it going, but not not tell that plant like, hey, it's fall now. It's time you're, to be done. You're middling. That's the problem. You're yes. you're in the middle. If it would get colder, it would be like, all right, we're done. We're we're done. Or if it was warmer, you'd get some drying. Giant. But we're right in that middle pocket it, that's not. And literally, when I looked up GDUs, we were like normal. Like even all the year in general, we were like, yeah, we've been pretty. It close, was very yeah. normal. So and so, I ran GDUs like from tassel date, which I used July 29th. There was that was kind of an earlier tassel date, really. Um, but we had enough GDUs on September 15th to finish out corn. Like we had, it takes 900 GDUs to finish out and make silage corn, and we had that. And it, like I said, it was right on normal. So that was good. So, like, that was a hard part, too, is I kind of was blaming on GDUs. Like, oh, yeah, we just, you know, but it, but it wasn't. It, it had nothing really to do with GDUs. So, so, anyway, moving into our, like, bigger question is what does this mean for corn grain? Like, we saw this in silage. Are we going to see this lag in grain as well? What do you guys think on that? Well, as long as the cob keeps drying down, yeah, your stalks might be greener, but... Your cob should hit black layer and keep drying for the most part. We're going to be late compared to last year, but relatively average. average. Yeah. And so far, too, what what all of this shows is has nothing to do with the cob. The cob is yeah. drying down at the correct rate, maybe a little slower, but that's because we're on normal GDUs compared to last year was higher. And so that is a good sign that, yeah, silage was a couple weeks later, but it, it should have zero to do with, with grain. And even looking at that is takes 1,100 GDUs from tassel to make black layer. 
And so when you do a forecast two weeks from now, we're going to hit 1116 GDUs. So we should be kind of on that track too of, even though we're sort of cooler than normal again, it's, it still seems like we're getting this October. Like it doesn't feel like it should be October already, but it's like, it's October. So that part of this is a good sign as well. That should be kind of on that normal track. Now we're not going to be nowhere near last year where it, we were, you know, compared to last year, we were like, it it was a good amount. Um, I lost my number here, but I want to say it was like 200 GDU short of last year. So it is going to feel like, like last year we would have been black layer now. Yep. And so there, there was yeah. no worries last year right. of making, of it, making it or not. And, that, and that's why you had your episode, you know, a month ago of, right. okay, what do we got to do if we don't think it's going to make it? And we also didn't have a lot of corn planted June 29th last year either. No. This year we did. Yeah. 22nd, 23rd. Of June? You had that month? Yeah. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Month. Yeah, no. Well, right. there were between I mean, replants yeah, and everything else. Okay, okay yeah. Todd. No, I, it just. Todd's got blinders it, <laughs> on for the rest of the world. Even in May, though, like most of ours was more on the later side of May. Yeah. And yeah. especially like we've said it didn't matter planting date it was emergence date and it was so cold in right. late may so yeah it it was a different year it emerges great when you plant it on june 22nd well and we, out of the ground. <laughs> and we seem more likely to have a killing frost sooner than we did last year too last year we frost was, the was re- late was really yeah. late yeah because we had that odd kind of warm stretch late and then so yeah, our chances of having a killing frost, I think, are a lot higher this year than they were last year. Trying to look, I'm pulling up Closer my weather. Closer normal. We pulling up right the now. next full moon, looking her up. I think it's the tenth ish, ninth or tenth. Todd, correct me. She's like wrong. in perfect moon stage right now, where it's like the yeah, because harvest moon was September tenth, and then hunter's moon is October ninth. Ninth, yeah. So, uh, so you, like you say, there's a good. I, I don't see that. a kill frost coming yet on our forecast all the way out to the 14th. Well, you know, f- forecasts are so accurate. Right. The further out you go. I'm just saying, it'd be a lot, I'd be a lot more no. concerned if I saw a 22 in the forecast, you know, yeah. and I got 36. I'm not saying we're going to get one, but I'm saying we're in a better position to have one this yeah. year than we were it last year. It feels a lot more likely it's not 80 degrees. Right. right. Uh, but what, I mean... We got some. I don't know how much frost you guys saw. We got down to like thirty three. Hit thirty two. I think last night. No, not last night. The night before. The night before it was thirty two. Thirty two. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it hit the freezing point, but it also warmed up. I think quicker yesterday than it did it fro- the day before into that morning. Frosted so. off all my sorghum in my food plots. I saw yeah. that on my cameras. <laughs> got my sorghum. That's dead. But corn looks like just the top leaves. Right. Yeah, no. Now, if you're living in Anago, Wisconsin, right. you got to kill the frost. Got, yeah, got a hammer. But as someone said to me the other day, Anago is the pit of the state. They always get a frost. Yeah. It's always cold there. So, All right. You guys ready to move on into our spotlight for today? Let's get it. So coming up in about a week, the comment period closes, and that's October 7th, 2022, for EPA's herbicide atrazine mitigation docket. So starting, I believe it was last June, EPA 
um, brought up Atrazine for review. And so, yeah, June 30th, they're revising Atrazine registration. It's been around for a long time. Uh, you can submit your comments telling EPA how Atrazine affects your operation, how important it is to you if you really like using it. Um, so major revisions include atrazine application prohibitions when soils are saturated, um, when rain is forecast during or 48 hours after application, prohibiting aerial application, application rates reduced to two pounds of atrazine on sorghum, field corn, and sweet corn for a year or per year, and inclusion of a pick list to mitigate runoff and leaching based on factors of the field. So soil, crop, slope, weather, uh, predicted atrazine contamination in the watershed field is located, and record-keeping requirements. So those are some of the things they're looking at adjusting when it comes to atrazine. So if you're this is going to affect your operation, it's a good thing to look into and potentially make your comments again before or on October 7th. And you go to reg- regulations.gov to uh, submit your comments. It is a little bit tricky to sort of find, but you can just search like atrazine comments regulations.gov and yeah, just some kind of just tell about, you know, I don't want to say tell your story, That's but if you use specific situations, it does help a lot for these kind of things of how are you using it, you know, what um, even some of the financial implications that it could potentially have on your farm. Atrazine yeah. is pretty reasonably priced and what you'd have to switch to. Be um, clear and specific yep. when talk, you make your comments. Talk about, you know, some of the problems we're having with, you know, herbicide-resistant weeds, and this is kind of a tool for that. So... Basically, you know, I I don't want to say any comments good, but sort of. I mean, just tell what you think about it and and why and the reasons why we want to Now's keep it as a tool, right? So if you wait for two weeks, no, you've we, lost your opportunity to, to be heard. To yeah, to at least give your points. So the other spot is um, corn growers has like a a call to action, call to action too, yep. and they got like some good comments of of how to how to submit your comments, what to do. So that'd be another. Google search is just search National Corn Growers Association, you know, atrazine. And like I said, it'll kind of help you along of, of, especially if you're a user of this, like, yeah, this is your time to say why you use it and how you use it. And we don't really want to lose this tool. So. Right. Right. And it, we know there's some good and bad things about atrazine, but like I said, it's still a very good tool that we want to have use of. All right, now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. So last week we talked about kind of when it came to market and some of the other uh, similar herbicides that are tied to the development of atrazine. Atrazine was invented in 1958 in the Geigy Laboratories as the second of a series of 135 triazines. Like other triazine herbicides, atrazine functions by binding to the plastoquinone binding protein in photosystem 2, uh, which animals lack. So it affects plants much more greatly than 
It does any type of animal. In fact, I think Max, you may be too young, but there's a gentleman that used to be at meetings yeah. that was known for drinking atrazine. Not that I would recommend that, but uh, <clears throat> to try to show that it was not as effective on or had little, if any, effect on people. Uh, plant death results from the starvation and oxidative damage caused by breakdown in the electron transport process. Oxidative damage is accelerated at high light intensity. Atrazine's primary manufacturer is Syngenta, and it's one of the most widely used herbicides in the United States, as well as Australian agriculture. When you said Geigy, I always think of like Seba Geigy, you know, and that merger was 1970. So I was trying to one, like, I always thought it was just always Seba Geigy. Nope. But yeah, when this would have first came out, it was just. Just geigy. Well, another thing to think about with atrazine is you might not even, you know, I hope you know you're spraying atrazine, but with all the premixes yep. that include uh, atrazine, so you, you may. Yeah, you're right. Like Acuron has it, you know, has it in. Yeah. Right. You're right. It's now known as Novartis, too. That is the same company. So Seba Geigy so when did, I wonder, merged. I wonder when Syngenta with Sandoz bought, in 96. When did Syngenta buy. Atrazine from them, or how? Well, uh, I think, was I think Syngenta a, part of? I think Novartis is now Syngenta. Like they've changed their name several times. I can't keep track of these. Either. <laughs> All the mergers and everything else. Yeah. But yes, Geigy became Seba Geigy. Then they Seba Geigy went together with Sandoz and became Novartis, and yeah. I didn't know Chem Chi- so Chem China owns all those. Yeah. Yes. But Adama is also owned by Chem China. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's I didn't either, but it's not a surprise. No. no. All right, good. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for that history of Etrazine. If you like what you're hearing out there, please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. Search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts on your iPhone or on Android. Download an app, Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. There you can find a bunch of other podcasts and also ours if you search Tilt Talk Radio. You can also listen on your computer and smartphone browser. Go to tiltegg.com slash podcasts. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. Thanks, Todd. All right, now we'll move into our cool beans. That's corny for some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. Hurricane Ian missed fertilizer plants, but does send a warning to U.S. industry. So Hurricane Ian narrowly missed landing a serious blow to the domestic fertilizer industry. About half of the phosphate fertilizer in the U.S. comes out of three plants in the Tampa, Florida region. And in the past, hurricanes have knocked them offline. If Ian had done so, it would have been yet another headache for a fertilizer industry that's already dealing with the impact of Russia's war on Ukraine and energy shortages in Europe. While we dodged a bullet this time, fertilizer industry got a warning that maybe it's time to split things up a little bit and maybe work on that infrastructure. I don't know where they're going to go, but I, yeah, I, I also think, like I said, it was just, it was good to miss them because 
When all your eggs are in one basket, and that basket threatens to get <laughs> toppled. It's, it's, of her. It, well, says, it says half the industry. That's a, that's that's a <laughs> reminder pretty much any time there's a natural I, disaster right. or international conflict, because we find out we have a lot of eggs in certain areas well, that and are just good for... It's, a, it's everything like gas, well, a lot of refineries mine, and all that stuff gets knocked off. mines here. Like, right. how, where are you going to move it? But you just, you just go to a different part of the world, and you find a different part of our industry or, or right. something in our life that we need, and... There's something going on everywhere, right? There's right. an earthquake in India, and we need who knows out of India, right? I, it's kind of what happens. It's just, why can't we just produce everything here and figure that out? Right. But no, it's it's good they missed, and now we're, yeah. Like you said, it, it was amazing how much of that area got spared. And, right, because they, they seemed to think Tampa was going to get nailed pretty right. hard, and then it... A lot of people, I mean, it sounds like quite a few people lost their life and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like... Though it was way less than what what they what they predicted sure. a week ago at this time, sure, which is good. It doesn't always go that way. Yeah. All right. Our that's corny this week is Florida farmers are scrambling to reach their cattle after Hurricane Ian. So farmers in Florida rushed to reach cattle on Thursday after trees down by Hurricane Ian broke fences that use, were used to contain the animals, and rain from the fierce storm flooded fields used for grazing. One of the mightiest storms to hit the U.S. in recent years, Ian flooded communities in the Gulf Coast before plowing across the peninsula to the Atlantic seaboard. Hurricane washed out roads, hampering farmers' attempts to corral cattle before they escaped fenced areas, a potential threat to public safety. Got trees all over the place, fence, fence lines are down, Cattle are roaming around. Obviously, power lines are down. Uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of a, a big mess and hopefully something that they will be able to mitigate in the coming days and kind of round everything up and get back on the right track. So, unfortunately, that's one of the one of the things that always seems to happen. You know, Hurricane Harvey 2, there were... Animals basically on islands of right. flooded water that they were dropping hay to, and um, so yeah. that part I can't imagine. I mean, we've gone through tornadoes, but it's not widespread. Like the whole county, right. you know, isn't where usually Canada when it floods here, it's a, it's, it's a very, very short term, right? And it's a very specific area, right. you know. Like usually, one area gets hit worse. Where this, where it's say a couple counties worth of just you know, and there, there's still quite a. I I mean, I. Didn't realize how much cattle were in Florida. It's not, you don't think of it as being, but there's a lot there. And yeah. <laughs> it, my grandpa had like 20 beefers on pasture back in the day. And a, a tree went down on the fence and they all got out. I remember in a storm, but like we didn't even lose power and they only made it, you know, half mile into the woods. And it was a pain in the butt, right. pain in the butt. So now everything's flooded. Every fence you own is gone. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. where do you even start, too? Like, where do you take them? Where do you... Yeah, hopefully yeah. you've got a building somewhere you can right. put them and in temporarily. Or, and if it's not most, gone. And yeah. for the most part in Florida, I think it's pretty much pasture. I don't right. think there's a there's lot not, of feedlot going on You wouldn't there. need a winter, outwintering building. Right. So, yeah. So, I don't know where they... Yeah, like you say, I don't know where you even go. Guess who's living in the cattle trailer for a few days? Yeah. All right, and now we'll finish up the episode with our Field Good Friday. And today we're talking grain carts, and it's a tie. Kinsey finds not one, but two historic grain carts in its national search. So to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Kinsey grain cart, 
manufacturer did a national search to find the oldest unit still running. Uh, after he built the first prototype cart in 1971, Kinsey founder John Kinzenbaugh manufactured eight 400 bushel grain carts. Two of those eight have been found still in operation on farms today. Michael Douglas from Henry County, Kentucky, and Jeremy Smart from Peebles, Ohio, both own some of those first grain carts. Douglas farms with his dad and operates a welding repair shop. They acquired the Kinsey cart from a dealer in Kentucky. Um, and then Smarts was acquired from a farm auction about 10 years ago by his brother-in-law, who then sold it to him. So they've they've seen some things over... What do they win? Is Kinsey buying them like a new grain cart? Here's a brand <laughs> new Kinsey tracked cart. Uh, yeah. It's probably just a certificate of... <laughs> they probably bought him dinner. Yeah, uh, It says, please congratulate both winners, according to Susan Veach. The contest was not only to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the grain cart, but always to show appreciation of our customers and demonstrate the durability and longevity of Kinsey products. So, Looking at these two pictures of the grain carts, I feel like we've seen these in the field. Like, right. Yeah. Like, they're out there. They got a tour. I, you know, thinking <laughs> of, like, a 400-bushel grain cart in 1970, that'd be, like, huge. I mean, yeah. most of your... You'd feel like two gravity boxes, I feel like, back then. I, I don't know what the average size exactly was, but that was that's enormous. Like that's, I when were, just, that's when they were still hauling grain on straight trucks. Right, like, well, that was right. wild. Like, you just thought the prototype would have been like 200, but, you know, like almost like looked right. like a tinker toy, not <laughs> not that. Weird. I mean, 400 bushel, yeah, that's... I wonder how they're using them, really. Like, that seems quite small to use today, but at the same time, it's... It would be doable. Still help get I'm grain. Just going to go out on a limb here and say they're probably not running twenty five hundred acres. Right. Well, right. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I was thinking the same thing, Max. I'm gonna I'm just going to guess it's probably not huge operations, but they got a grain cart from the seventies that still runs. So it's yeah. pretty impressive. So there you go. That's our field good Friday. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. Today we talked about why silage may have hung up when it comes to moisture. In our spotlight, we looked at the upcoming comment period closing for Atrazine. Ag History Minute, we talked a little bit more about the history of Atrazine. Cool beans this week was fertilizer plants got missed by Hurricane Ian. That's corny as it still did enough damage in Florida that it caused um, a lot of fences and things to go down and cattle to be scrambled across the countryside. And our Field Good Friday was again two Kinsey grain carts from the original eight that were built still running today on farms. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming. Happy farming.